Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Dugout.uk football podcast. I'm joined by my co-host Lee Tootle. Lee, how are you this evening? I'm good, how are you? I'm really good. And for the first time on the podcast, we're not joined by a special guest. It's just me and Lee. Um, it's It might be like this a, a fair few times, but we're <laughs> hopefully... We'll find out bit... whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in a few minutes, I'm sure. <laughs> and to me and you ranting like we do on Discord. But this week, we're going to be talking about mainly two, uh, two stories in football this week, and that is Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester City. As I'm a Manchester City fan, Lee's a Leeds United fan, so he's obviously got his own opinions on Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> And we're also going to be taking a look at England and their squad for the September international break. Um, but we'll start with the big story of the week, Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester City. Now, it came out on Wednesday that Harry Kane is set to stay at Tottenham Hotspur. And throughout the start of the day, it seemed like Manchester City were just going to go with what they had for the season, which is Ferran Torres, Liam Delap, Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, and the multitude of false nines that they've got. But it, by Wednesday evening, it seemed like Cristiano Ronaldo was a viable option for them. He wants to leave Juventus. Juventus have put a 28 million euro price tag on his head, um, as well as refusing to pay any of his wages if he is to leave. His contract expires next summer, and he seems pretty desperate for the move to Manchester City to happen. Now, Lee, I mean, you, you've you've seen... A, a player go from your club to a rival in Rio Ferdinand to Manchester United all those years ago. This is a relatively similar situation. It's not It's not a direct transfer, but I mean, Ronaldo is a United legend. As a City fan, I'm a bit, I'm a bit at odds with it, really. I don't really, I don't like the yeah. idea of, Rena- of Ronaldo, you know, the archetypal Man United player, the son of, Al- like, basically the son of Alex Ferguson. <laughs> I mean, what how do you how do you feel about kind of players going to play for rival clubs? I mean, it happened it happened with you a couple of times with Rio and Alan Smith, was it? Rub it in why don't you? Uh? <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it yeah it did. Always Man United as well, and any of our best players went anywhere. It were always to Man United, but um, obviously, I think it's um, and I know you're a bit like you said is. It was Ferguson's almost son and whatever, and you said it's obviously it, it's a bit difficult for you. But the way I'd look at it is the way that Man United looked at it all those years ago is that that I know in a direct transfer, but at the time they were taking their you know their rivals' best players off them. So for them, it was a massive win because not only did they hate the club they were coming from, they'd just taken the best player and they were a damn good player, Rio Ferdinand and Cantona. But um, I know obviously. Um, Ronaldo's unarguably one of the best players in the world at the minute. And I know we, we had a conversation where I said he were in the top two and you, and you made a bit of a case for Kevin De Bruyne the other day. I don't know if that was just the, the defences going up. But um, no, but I think, um, you know, when you look at the amount of money City were willing to splash on Harry Kane in this transfer window, 28 million is not that much. Obviously, he's on more wages, but he's going to cost, you know, 120 million less up front than you were, or for the transfer fee than you were going to pay for Harry Kane. So, um, and I think Pep can never decide to me whether he wants a striker or he wants a false nine. And you look at someone like Ronaldo, who's just a kind of a generic attacker. He can play anywhere in the front line. Um, I, I think that might be the happy medium. And to be honest, you're getting 
you're getting a brand. Like we said the other week with PSG and Messi, Ronaldo's got his fans. That's more money coming into the club. So again, that could be one of those deals that almost even pays for itself. And you're getting one of the best forwards in the world at that. And for him to come back to the Premier League, I'm surprised you're not buzzing at the prospect of taking someone who Man United have been... like All, all, all the fans act like he's been on loan from Man United wherever he's been. I, I don't see how he... Are you not chuffed that you're taking that away from them? I mean, that is the one solace of it, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> like, the, the, the first time I caught myself smiling at the idea of Ronaldo wearing a City shirt was this morning when Mark Goldbridge did a live stream. And he basically just shat on City the way through it. But for, for a brief moment, I was just thinking, actually, yeah, it would be quite, it would be quite a funny moment. Because obviously we had it with Tevez about 12, 12 13 years ago. And we had the welcome to Manchester. Welcome to Manchester. Yeah, I was going to say the beautiful. It's worth remembering we were we weren't the same club then. You know, we we've just got the money in. We were only a year into the Abu Dhabi ownership, and it was a genuinely big. And you got to remember, we we didn't actually buy him from United. We bought him from West Ham. He was on loan at United. But um, but as as you say, United fans have treated him like the golden child, like he's been on loan for the past however many years it's been since he left for Madrid. And yeah, I mean the idea of getting Ronaldo for twenty-eight million, no one, not no club in the world can snub at that. I don't blame City for exploring it, um, but yeah, emotionally it's difficult to kind of contend with. Yeah, um, the stats don't lie. I mean, I'm looking at it here: six hundred and seventy-four career goals in eight hundred ninety-seven appearances. He's what is he the leading international goal scorer as well for Portugal? Won yeah. the Euro with them. Won the Nations League with them. And um, obviously, we've got a Portuguese contingent at City, João Cancelo, Bernardo Silva, Ruben Dias. So they all play with him, so they'll all know him. And obviously, he's been, in, and, we, and we know what he can do in the Premier League. You know, yeah, he might be 30, he might be 36, but there are there are upsides to this. I'm not going to sit here as a biased City fan and go, no, Ronaldo's shit. Um, but yeah, emotionally, it's difficult to contend with. Um, the, the big and- question. The big question is, you mentioned the other day how serious you are or not. I want a yes or no answer. Are you going to boo Ronaldo if he scores for Man City? <laughs> well, I mean, I've said it. Because uh, I've, seen you, I've seen the DMs that you were receiving off that Ronaldo fan on Twitter who weren't right happy with your, um, your opinions happy. on him. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I genuinely don't know. I don't. It's one of those things where I'd have to actually see it happen to see how I properly feel about it. But right now, as I sit here, I probably would boo him. I would definitely boo him at his first game. It's it's going to be one of those. <laughs> and I know a lot of City fans feel the same way as me. There's a lot of younger City fans who are absolutely buzzing at the idea of signing Ronaldo, and there's a lot of City fans who are older than me buzzing at the idea of signing Ronaldo because it's signing a strike and it's signing a striker that guarantees 20, 30 goals a season. But at the same time, it's Ronaldo. It's, it's still, it's. It, I mean, that's my only. That's the way I've been saying it to everyone. It's Ronaldo, and everyone's going, "Yeah, that's why you should sign him." No, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. City might not do the deal. The transfer window closes on Tuesday evening. Um, let's see what happens. Um, I'm still very conflicted. But moving on to what we're going to be mainly talking about today: England announced their squad for the September international break. And there aren't that many surprises in it. One big in uh, addition to the squad this time around is Patrick Bamford of Leeds United getting his first call-up. Now, Lee, as we as we talk about every week, you're a Leeds fan. And for once, you're, as a Leeds fan, you get to talk about Leeds United's 
one of Leeds United's favourite sons, Patrick Bamford. So I'm just going to let you go on. I know you wanted him in the Euros, <laughs> and for and I think and I think I had a record at the time. I wanted him in this squad as well. Um, go for it, Patrick Bamford for England. I think um, I, there isn't really much to say, to be honest. I mean, um, you look at the, the reason I wanted him in the squad for the Euros was because. Ollie Watkins got his call up in about March when it was very much, I know Bamford had interviews and stuff before that, given his form, and he was saying, look, whoever gets it, deserved it, etc. But um, Ollie Watkins got it in March, but his form in 2021 for me were dreadful. And you remember how fuming I was at the time when Southgate announced this massive, unnecessarily big 33-man preliminary squad and Bamford didn't get a look in. I thought, I bet he was just sitting at home and thinking, I wish I hadn't turned Ireland down a couple of years ago. But um, but no, I think um, 17 goals and seven assists last season, and I think the seven assists probably tell you more about him as a player than the goals. You look at, we were 2-1 up against Leicester in the 83rd minute. He's one-on-one with the keeper. He sees Harrison out of the corner of his eye, so he just slows down waits till Harrison's at the side of him and squares it. Not many number nines who were thinking, God, I've got an England call-up coming, are thinking, oh, do you know what? I'll get the assist and not the goal here, especially when you're as a striker. But I think when you look at Southgate's loyalty to Harry Kane in that position, he obviously values more than just a goal out of a striker. And Bamford's got, he's got the work rate, he presses, even though like against Everton, he didn't get a goal. But he got the assist for Mateus Click's goal. He were winning the ball back high up. And even we we were absolutely tragic for 75 minutes against Crew. We couldn't hit a barn door. But you bring Bamford on and it yeah, he got an assist. But before that, even the game just looked like we were dominating the second he came on the pitch because centre backs are aware of him because he's really clever with his movement. They're drawn to him. He he brings a line, he makes them drop the line further. And he can make those runs in behind. I think he's deceivingly quick. I think he said himself he gets mugged off for his pace sometimes because you don't think of pace when you see Bamford. But then once he's going, it's his acceleration. And I think last season, just his finishing was on a complete other level to what we'd ever seen before. And I think he's really earned the call-up. Even if it's only a friendly, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I think Southgate said, obviously, his form last season were immense. And um, and I think especially when you look at th- this season, you're not looking for form of the last two games. As we said earlier, that's not form. That's a couple of good games. Pogba got four assists against us on opening day, but he's not going to do that for the rest of his season. So that's why I think he's looking at last season and the form in the running, even though Bamford were really getting pressed by Rodrigo for those last few games, still managed to keep his place in the squad just because of what he contributes when he doesn't have the ball as much as his, as much as his striker's instinct. And I think that's something England re- really lack is the work rate, the pressing up front and that just a striker to be between the defenders, you know, playing in the middle off the shoulder. Yeah, I mean, I really like Patrick Bamford. I think he's, I think he's been fantastic for Leeds. Seventeen goals last season in the Premier League. Played in every single Premier League game as well, which is fan- it shows just how good his fitness is as well. Which is obviously with Harry Kane is something to kind of be aware of. 
Um, and I think of all the kind of strikers that are behind Kane, so, you know, you Calvert-Lewin, who's in the squad as well, Ollie Watkins, who's not in this time, Danny Ings, Callum Wilson, Tammy Abraham. I think Patrick Bamford is the one who's most similar to Kane because he's so good on the ball and off the ball, you know, dropping deep, getting in between, getting in spaces. And that comes with Bielsa's style of play, obviously. Um, so I think it's going to be a really good addition. I hope he gets on the pitch. Um, but yeah, moving on to some of the other people in the squad. Um, Jesse Lingard has returned. Uh, didn't make the Euro squad, but was in that 33-man squad, played in pre-Euros friendlies. Trent Alexander-Arnold back. Um, obviously was injured for the Euros, and he's back in the squad. So you'd probably expect him to get some game time. And Nick Pope has also returned from injury. He was obviously meant to go to the Euros as well, but then got injured, so couldn't. Um, you know, but apart from that, it's a lot of the same people who were at the Euros. You know, Carl Walker, John Stones, Jack Grealish, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden's out with injury, which is a real shame. But, you know, it's what happens. It's the same injury that kept him at the Euros finally. It's been bugging him all summer. But hopefully he'll be back for City afterwards and back in the squad in October. But one notable absence, and, he, and it's interesting because he was slated for a return, is Mason Greenwood. Now, Greenwood started the season in fine form for Manchester United, got a couple of goals. Um, he's obviously a really good player, Mason Greenwood. He's obviously a really, really good versatile attacking player. Hasn't been in the squad since his escapades in Iceland last year. But um, I think it's worth talk- I think it's worth talking about. You know, it is the future for England at striker Mason Greenwood. You know, Harry Kane is twenty eight now. And obviously that's not old. It's far from it. There's still plenty of years left with Harry Kane. But considering Greenwood so young, is he is he the person you're kind of looking at for the future of England up front? I think um, he's, he's got to be in the conversation for the number nine position. He's, and even just in general, I think it's irrefutable that he's going to be absolutely massive for England just because of how versatile he is in those attacking roles. Again, anywhere in the front three, he can do a job. He is the most two-footed attacker, I think, I've seen in my lifetime. He's just as confident on his left foot as his right. You would not know which his strongest foot was watching him play. Um, I think, like as we mentioned with Harry Kane, he's got a very niche style of play. If an- if another team works that out, it, you know, he's, he's very quickly eliminated as a threat. We saw it in the Euros for the first few games. They were having to drop in against Croatia, he was getting on the ball deeper than Calvin Phillips, who was playing at defensive mid, because they, they weren't letting him have the ball that high up the pitch. He were having to come deep and collect it, try and move up. And I think sometimes, again, he lacks the pace. And I still think Harry Kane is one, probably the best finisher in the world. Once he's in a goal-scoring position, he's he's got the, one of the best shots in the world, definitely the best for England. But he's very he's not getting into those positions as much anymore for England. Because then I don't know if it's the influence Mourinho had on him with how Spurs were wanting to set up. But he he's coming too deep, in my opinion. And I'm not and I think Southgate obviously makes up for that with, you know, Raheem Sterling practically played as the striker, especially in the you know, the the group stage, um, in terms of his positioning when we had the ball. But um I think sometimes, like we mentioned with Bamford, you just need that number nine. Greenwood against against us on opening day against Leeds, he were constantly a threat. I, I hated that game every minute of it because I were I was just looking at their front four and I thought Greenwood, you know, 
he's got the legs on everyone in our back line that we played that day. He's, he's quick, he's unpredictable, and especially the, the two-footedness. As a defender, you can you can push someone onto the weak foot easily. If you, if you know that they're one-footed, you just, in the right-footed, you force them onto the left foot, they can't do anything. But Greenwood, you don't have the pleasure of doing that because you push him onto his right foot and he'll just score the same goal he'd scored if you'd pushed him onto his left. And that's something that I think England lack. I think in the Euros, we were really predictable in terms of how we played. Oh, Harry Kane's dropping deep, so he's going to play a ball out to one of the full-backs. He's going to run in late. Sterling's going to be in the box first. It were all very one-dimensional how we played. And I think Greenwood is just unpredictable. And I think that's something we really, really lacked in the Euros. Especially in, in the final, we looked to his bench and the, there weren't many people you could bring on to, apart from Grealish, who maybe should have come on earlier. There were no one who you were going to bring on and think they're going to win us that game. They're going to change this game. Every change had to be like for like and it just wasn't going to work for us. And I think Greenwood's re- really is the future. But I'm, I'm sure you might have another shout for the future of England at striker. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I do like Mason Greenwood. I'd like him a hell of a lot more if he wore a different colour shirt for his club. But, I mean, Mason Greenwood is obviously a fantastic player. He, he had an off-season last year, um, which was which was evident right from the start, you know, because he's, he's only, what, 18, 19 years old. He's very, very young. Um, and to get kicked out of the England squad so publicly for a mistake. And it obviously affected him a hell of a lot more than the other guy who was involved, Phil Foden. Phil Foden bounced right back and had a, one of his best ever seasons in football obviously he's so young so he's not had that much time but I mean he's a he's a certified star for City now and we all thought Mason Greenwood would do the same time away from England bounce back get back in the squad get into the Euros and he probably would have gone to the Euros if he didn't get an injury um I know Southgate was considering right until the very end um but yeah he's a really good player obviously my few my future striker for England is Liam Delap um son of Rory Delap the famous uh, Stoke City player Absolutely fantastic young striker at Manchester City. Come through the academy at Derby County and then moved to City a couple of years ago. He's in the first team this season. With our problems at striker um, that we may still have with or without Ronaldo, if he joins, who knows? Um, but Liam Delap could really be a solution for us there in certain games and certain situations. He's physically ready, and you got to think if he has a good season, then he's going to have to. Then he's going to be in Southgate's mind, you know, as one of these many backups to Harry Kane. You know, for the first time in quite a while, I think England have a real dearth and they have real depth at striker, um, which is really good to see. Uh, I listed I listed off a bunch earlier. And if you look even further down, there's Adam Armstrong, who's just come up from the Championship and he's joined Southampton. Ivan Tony at Brentford, who scored, what, 30-odd goals in the Championship last season. If he continues that form in the Premier League, then he's going to be he's going to be on this long list of strikers for England. Um, but mo- moving towards other areas of squad, um, I think one kind of interesting dynamic we might see in this squad, especially, is Jack Grealish and Jaden Sancho. Now, they're sort of fighting for the same positions, really, in, in that front line, not at striker, but out wide. Um, and they played similar minutes in the Euros. You know, Jack Grealish coming off the bench a lot more. Uh, Jaden Sancho started, a game, started one of the games and come on now and again throughout the tournament. But one of the interesting dynamics is they've both just moved to new clubs for massive money. You know, Jack Grealish broken the transfer record, 100 million. Jaden Sancho, 75 million pound move to Manchester United. Um, 
do we think them two moving to new clubs will kind of affect them in any way? Uh, do we think it's a positive thing for England? Do we think it's a negative thing for England? Because obviously Sancho's playing with Greenwood, Rashford, uh, Harry Maguire at United, and Grealish is playing with Sterling, Foden, Kyle Walker, John Stones at City. Is this a good thing for England to have more players from the same clubs, especially when they're all kind of vying for the same positions? I, th- I think so, because like you said, it was the possibility at the start of the summer was that City's front four could literally be England's front four when you think about it. And having those players understand each other week in, week out is very important. I think Southgate's tactics are very often um, criticised online by, well, everyone, to be honest. I don't think anyone was particularly happy with the style of play we adopted. But um, I think it's... It's very hard for Southgate to get together an identity and a style for England when you've got players, you know, you've got players like Sam Johnston, and I know I'm going to the keeper who's playing under Sam Allardyce in goal. Then you've you've got Phillips in the midfield next to Rice, who both play very different games for very different clubs. You've got Kane, you've got Kane, Calvert Lewin at the Euros play in a particular style you've got Sterling who's very used to the possession game, and it's it's all very mix and match which is why sometimes I think on an international level you can almost excuse Southgate for not being the most tactically advanced because it, it's so hard to just get people playing a certain way when they, they go back to the club then and they're, they're playing differently it's I, th- I think it happened to Calvin Phillips when he got his first England call up it was before the league had started he didn't really play he came back he was just his normal self for the opening games after the second international break he came back and he were a bit off it he were playing slightly differently because he'd you know because he'd been with England and I think if there were a very clear tactical style and it wasn't how we played that had happened even more and I think generally it does look like sometimes Southgate just says we're playing 3-4-3 tonight go and have fun like there's not a lot else to it you know wing backs getting your crosses try and get it on Kane's head like it, it is it is very basic but you can almost forgive him for that and I think if you have players especially all together in a team like City he might then look at look at the system and think we should play a bit more like that please God let him think that because it'd be so it'd give you a reason to watch England other than your own players to be honest wouldn't it but um I yeah. think um yeah and, and I mean, and I mean, looking at the fixtures we've got, we've got Hungary away, Andorra at home, Poland away is the three fixtures in this break. World Cup qualifiers for next winter to World Cup, obviously. They're not the most exciting games to watch. Um, and this is the and this is the criticism Southgate gets when it's qualifiers or when it's you know between tournaments, between summer tournaments. Um, he's it's boring to watch. International football is more boring to watch tactically. You know, it's not as exciting as watching a Guardiola team or a Klopp team or a Bielsa team. Um, so, you know, and we've got all this attacking talent now as well. We want to see something exciting. Um, so hopefully, you know, he doesn't just revert back to a, th- a very defensive 3-4-3 three, three and having, what, three attackers on the pitch. Five at the back against Andorra. <laughs> you, yeah. you can see it happening now, can't you? With all um, the defenders that we've got called up, <laughs> and 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 as good as Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips were at the years, and they're both in this squad, obviously, um, and that and that is probably going to be the long term partnership for England in that in the middle of that midfield, um, and it was and it's and it is effective. 
it's just a bit boring, you know. And with someone like Jude Bellingham in the squad, young kid, been incredibly impressive for Dortmund, um, scored against City in the Champions League, should have had t- should have had two really across those two legs, but had one quite unfairly ruled out. Um, he was fantastic in those games, you know, really effective, quite quite advanced playmaker midfielder. Just a really interesting player. It'd be great to see him in that pivot alongside, I'd say, Calvin Phillips. I think that'd be a really interesting partnership to watch. Might not work, but who knows? You've got to um, try, though, haven't you? You, can, you can't say something ain't going to work until you've tried it because a lot of people before the Euros didn't think Phillips and Rice could play together. I didn't. Yeah, but... and, it, and it, it, did, it did the job. But, I mean, you know, there was the clamour all throughout the Euros for Jack Grealish to play. And we rarely saw it. Now we're seeing Jack Grealish's Manchester City lead man um, can play in a bunch of other can play in a bunch of positions. He's he's going to be one of the main men at City this season, I think, and he's going to have to become one of that, one of the main men for England. He wants to become that main man for England. You know, he had the number seven shirt on his back in the Euros, and he wants to kind of continue that reputation. But now start backing it up with performances on the pitch. And whenever he's played for England, he's impressed. You know, that's the thing with Jack Grealish. Whenever he's on the ball, you know something's going to happen. He's either He's either going to he's either going to draw a foul and there'll be a free kick and that's a great opportunity for England, or you know something else is going to happen. He's either going to create something because he's a really good chance creator, um, and with you know with the with the talent we've got, we just want to see something interesting in these games. You know we know England are going to qualify for the World Cup most likely. We know they're probably going to stroll it and have a couple of games left, and they'll be able to bring some youngsters in towards the end of the campaigns. But right now, we just we just want to be excited by England. We want to kind of bring back that feeling from the summer, don't we? Really, that's all we want. Yeah, because it were you, you could tell the, the the second the second they scored the winning penalty, the mood just dropped, and that were it. And it, it's not just football; it's the mood around the country in general dropped. I know um, you're still scarred by the sound of Sweet Caroline, and no one should ever have to say that, but. Um, it's just a bit of excitement. I It's really painful, and it will be for you as well, but watching Leeds play, I think, we, I think we're the most exciting team in the Prem in terms of goals. Goals scored, goals against. You can't... You watch a Leeds game, there's goals in it, and you go to watching England, you know, playing nil-nil against Scotland. Scotland aren't a good team, compared to England at least, but it's really painful going from watching, you know, this high press attack, all out attack football to 11 men behind the ball. And, you know, just boring defensive football. And you're all right at the end of the game when you think, all right, yeah, one nil against Croatia, not bad. You know, well, we're through at grip. Uh, yeah, we scraped through 2-1 against Denmark. We're in the final. We'll do it against Italy. And eventually that kind of football cracks. And I, I really, I, I don't think we're... Um, it's, 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 it's boring. No, yeah, there's no doubt it suits tournaments. And at the end at the end of a game in a tournament when you've won, and especially when it's a knockout, you're fucking buzzing. Yeah. You know, beers are going everywhere. Everyone's delighted. Sweet Caroline's playing. Yeah, Everyone's definitely. Great time. And I mean, you, you know me in the summer. I was, you know, well, I was I was at work the next day, every single day, and I don't remember a single morning of work after an England game in, in summer, because I was just, you know, you were you were out all night. It was a great time, great fun, 
And you don't get that with international breaks. You just don't. It's, it's not going to be the same. Even when we're at the Nations League, which is supposedly competitive games, it's a bit crap. It's a bit crap. You know, it's you get the occasional good game, like that Spain game away a couple a few years ago. Three twos. Sterling and Rashford made it. Three nil first half. Spain had a late comeback. And there's games like that where, you know, that's really good to watch. But then most of them, you know, it's just a bit boring. And unless England are racking up five six nil at Wembley, it's not it's not the same. But you know, hopefully it's going to be a bit more exciting. There's the talent in the squad. Hopefully that feeling from the summer will come back um, while watching these games, even if the pubs aren't as full. Um, but looking towards what the potential lineups could be, I mean, surely he's going to play a four at the back. Against the teams we are, it's embarrassing if we do anything else. Completely embarrassing if we don't play anything, if we play anything different. And if it is a back four, it's pretty clear who the first choice back four will be. It's going to be, I mean, there's four right backs in the squad, so that kind of complicates it. But I mean, <laughs> you'd probably suspect they'll each get a, one game. Um, yeah. I, th- I think he'll go with his, his loyal lineup from the Euros that didn't put a foot wrong. You know, yeah. apart from giving people game time, obviously you get more subs in friendlies. It's a lot easier. I mean, I, th- I think it's it's got to be Walker, Stones, Maguire, Shaw has to be our starting back four. And and you know, he, he might put Pope in at keeper um, for one game, which is fine. I re- we all we all everyone likes Nick Pope. No one's got a problem with Nick Pope. He's a decent keeper, but Pickford's obviously Pickford's obviously the number one for England. That's clear as day. Is he going to stick with the Rice Phillips partnership? Uh, I think he probably will. Uh, what do you think? Rice Phillips the whole, pretty much the whole way through. Maybe Bellingham coming in, maybe Henderson. Probably, yeah. And I think mainly just because you can very easily move between a 4-3-3 and a 4-2-3-1 with Rice and Phillips. Mm-hmm. Because Phillips is he he hasn't played he has not played box to box for Leeds in since Bielsa came in three years. He's never played as a number eight in that time, but he did before. And he did in the Euros, that first game against Croatia, I thought he was the best player on the pitch playing in that role. And you can, they can easily cover for each other because Rice carries the ball and then Phillips is used to playing on his own at Leeds anyway in that position. So it, it, it kind of does ha- add that bit of versatility. But yeah, um, it, there has to be uh, some rotation in there. Yeah, we'll probably see Jordan Henderson play one, one or two. Of that game. I'm expecting he'll be a 4-2-3-1 uh, as, a, as a kind of basic. And, and that's how I'm going to define it for this because it just makes it easier. I mean, we'll probably see Jordan Henderson come in. We'll hopefully see Jude Bellingham get some game time as well. Um, but moving towards that kind of attacking midfield position, now obviously my my golden child, Phil Foden, is not in the squad out with injury, as we said earlier. Um, so that kind of leaves a whole host of options. Jesse Lingard, Mason Mount, probably. Well, they're the two listed as midfielders on the England website and on the yeah. England squad list. But, I mean, we saw Jack Grealish play a little bit there in the Euros, and he's probably going to be playing more in the centre with Manchester City. So, out of those three, who do you think is probably most likely to start with him? Who would you like to see play in the 10 role? Uh, I would love to see Grealish in the 10 role. I really would. But I do think, as well as his passing ability, his tendency to dribble and take people on doesn't work as well in the middle. Um, I, I think... I thought Mount was good at the Euros, and I think he's a brilliant, brilliant attacking midfielder. But it's really difficult because I he wasn't he didn't stand out 
once in that tournament for me at all. And, you know, when you've got your, your defensive midfielders are sticking out as the attacking players in certain games, your number 10 ain't doing much, is he? So um, I, I do think I would experiment with Grealish there. It, they're only the World Cup qualifiers and we're clear, you know, we're, we're against teams that we should be beating anyway comfortably. I mean, England, out of all the players in the squad, you know, whether we're starting Connor Cody and Tyrone Mings at centre-back, you know, we should be able to win these games. Yeah. And that and that is a bit that is a bit of English arrogance, obviously. It's always is within, within the national team, but I mean, we should be we should be winning these games. You yeah. Know, no, unless Lewandowski turns up in the Poland game and blows us all away, like we know we can do. But I mean, the rest of that Poland squad isn't fantastic. Yeah. Um, but moving towards moving towards the front line, um, who who's your picks for out wide? Who's going to be your ones to watch out wide for England in this break? Generally. I would have said Phil Foden, but obviously he's not in the team. So um, I think we we need, I think the one thing that we have with Saka is a player with a good work rate, a player who creates chances. He can beat his man for pace. And I think at least then we're not left with three right-footed forwards. So everything's predictable. I think he, he he's probably in with a shout, especially because he, he played such a big part in the Euros as well. Um, even on the final day, I thought he played brilliant. But um, I think Saka and Sterling on the left because South it's inevitable that Southgate's going to play Kane, and you do need someone who's capable. Who's I think Raheem Sterling is so underrated because he's just so tactically aware. Brilliant. Like I, I mean, I, I I could do a whole podcast on Raheem Sterling, <laughs> of the guy. Um, he didn't have the best season for City last year. Um, but, I mean, he's still got 14 goals and 12 assists. He's going to snub the nose at that, really. I mean, it just kind of shows how how high he's set his own standard in the past few years. But, I mean, he's been brilliant for England in the last few years. You know, he's got something crazy, like 15 goals and 20 appearances, something like that for England in the past three, four years. He's just, he's in a brilliant run of, run of form internationally. He was massive for England in in the Euros, you know, got us, got us through the group stage on his own, we can't forget. Um, and that Denmark game, I mean, that semi-final, he ran that game. He was just imperious in that game, just running about everywhere. And then, and then he, and of course, he won the penalty that won the game for England. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously it's obvious Raheem Sterling's going to start at least one or two of them. I think Jaden Sancho is probably going to play because he is, he is kind of now he's moved to Man United. He's going to be in kind of conversation a lot more because that's what happens. You move to a club like Man United, you get in, you get in the conversation more. There were a lot uh, of jokes on Twitter, weren't they? After um, he, he he didn't start any of the games, he then signed for Manchester United. That were confirmed, and he started the following game. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, but I agree with you on Saka. Saka's a fantastic talent, and being the only left footer in the list of forwards. Uh, in the list of wingers, at least I should say, um, yeah, being the only left footer in the list of in the list of the wingers, he's got, he's obviously got to play because he just he, having that different angle of attack it saves the attack being so one dimensional, um, and that's a and that's a good thing. Obviously, Phil Foden was in the squad. I imagine I would guess Phil Foden would play. He's a he's a fan favorite. He's a manager's favorite, but Saka Saka is as well. Um, we can't look past that. Up front, it's obvious, isn't it? It's going to be Harry Kane. Harry Kane's going to start. Yeah. I mean, and no one can have any complaints. I mean, 
I mean, as as a City fan, we obviously wanted Kane, you know, because we we know what he can do. He's been brilliant for England, dropping off, dropping deep, making space for wide players to run into. He's done that at Tottenham in the past season or so. Um, he's just a brilliant, brilliant player, and we're very, very lucky to have him. Um, but obviously, hopefully, Calvert Lewin and Bamford get some game time off the bench. I'd yeah. love to see Bamford get a start. I'm sure you would too. Yeah, I'll definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll be in shirt ordered in the morning. I- Oh, oh it's it's happening. I mean, I didn't. I got an England shirt for the Euros, but I got it on the day of the Croatia game, and I was going to get Phillips on the bat, but they sold out of the lettering. I literally got it at twelve o'clock. The oh. game were at two, I think. But um, no, if Bamford gets his call up, I know my dad will be getting a Bamford shirt because my dad was weirdly obsessed with Patrick Bamford even when he was playing shit. You know, in the Championship, seeing Bamford's name on the team sheet when we had Eddie and Kettier on loan, who just seemed to score when he were on the pitch were painful, but you you can see why it's because of what he contributes to the, the team effort. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, he's, a, he's a really brilliant worker. Hopefully he, play, he hopefully he gets a bit of play, game time for England and hopefully stays in the squad if he does well. Um, to, cut, to start to begin to wrap this up, how do we think... Hopefully, England are going to get nine points in, in, to start off their qualifying, well, kick, re-kick off their qualifying campaign. Hopefully, um, it it will it will be seven at worst, and that would be yeah. against Poland because sure. of a Lewandowski masterclass. But other no, than no, that, I mean, as as an England fan, you know, we've just made the Euros farm. We've got to be expecting this, haven't we? We've got to be expecting big things from England, you know. The, the, these are these are the games, you know, they're not the biggest games in the world, but they do matter in getting us to Qatar next, next winter. Um, it's an opportunity for this squad to continue developing. You know, we've got we've got to we've got to win these games. Um, but to, to wrap up, I think we should talk briefly about the Premier League this weekend. Obviously, you're playing Burnley away. I'm playing we and we've got Arsenal at home. Um, beat Norwich 5-0 last week. Arsenal not really, really not doing well. I think they're in the relegation zone. Um, after the first two games, um, Pep versus Arteta. Yep. I mean, we know who's winning that battle, don't we? <laughs> unless City just have a complete off day and Arteta can capitalise, which has happened before, FA Cup semi final a couple of years ago. It can happen. Um, but yeah, we'll see. What about what about Burnley v Leeds away? Uh, Burnley v Leeds quickly. What do, we, what do you think of that game? They have a very weird way of somehow, while being a team who seem to value possession the least, having a lot of the ball against us. But I think that's just Sean Dyche's thing of if we if we play that way, then they won't play that way as well. And it hasn't worked for him because I think we put five past him without reply last season. One of them in, in December was at Ellen Road, and that was a very difficult game. It were, I think it were a Patrick Bamford penalty in the fifth minute, and after that it was just stop them scoring because the size of the forwards when they have like when they've got Barnes and um Barnes and Wood on the pitch, that and I were looking at our back line and Calvin Phillips were in the back line that day, so we weren't exactly at as um at as peak Calvin Phillips and Luke Ayling both in the back three with Strauch. So Strauch having to man mark two players that day, so it were a lot. It, it were a lot more difficult than the second time when um, we we just tore them to pieces. Really, the the first goal we just dribbled from back to front. Mateus Click, no one pressured him. 
I think um, Harrison scored a ludicrous, just he, he tapped the ball and didn't even look at the goal and it just kind of rolled in. And um, again, I think Rodrigo came on and scored two in two minutes. So um, it were, we, we've yeah. convincingly beaten them since then. I think if we, I, we need we need three points because we haven't won a game yet. We've conceded seven goals and only got a point. We, we need to start getting points. So I, I think we'll be up for it this weekend. Yeah, I think that'll be a really good game. Um, obviously, the other big game in the Premier League this weekend is Liverpool versus Chelsea at Anfield. Um, it's it's always a fun tie, that Liverpool versus Chelsea. It's always a fun tie. There's always goals in it. Um, and obviously, Lukaku, he's just rejoined, looks in fantastic form after last weekend. Very briefly, what do we think about that game? I think um, it is the one that... It's a game that Liverpool will struggle with because... Yeah. Though Van Dijk's Chelsea. back, Chelsea are just awful to play against. The, the seven defensive-minded players on the pitch, you, you can't get through. It's so so painful to play against. You, you, you'll I mean, know. I mean, we faced a Kells, two calls Chelsea three times last season, Champions League final, FA Cup semi-final, and a league game. And the game we scored against them is the game when we had no midfielders. We just had all attackers. And it and you know we got we got one goal through Raheem Sterling and there was that awful penalty by Aguero, but apart from that we didn't score against them in the other two games. They defended the game really really well. And they just look they just look imperious. And with Lukaku, my God, they're just an insane insane prospect for this season. Um, but that's it for this episode of the Dugout.uk Football Podcast. Um, we will be covering all three England games on the dugout.uk with pre-match analysis, post-match analysis. Um, we'll be taking a really deep look at some of the games, especially if interesting things happen, which you never know. Um, but yeah, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.